Hello Rebels, Happy New Year and a very Merry Christmas. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed and you're listening to a free audio-only recording of my Wednesday night show, The Gun Show. However, you can watch it whenever you feel like or listen to it whenever you feel like because this is the internet and that's how it works. Tonight my guest is my friend and my colleague, Kean Bextie. Now if you like listening to the show, then you are going to love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to premium content. That's what we call our long-form TV-style shows here on Rebel News. Our subscribers get access to my really great show, as well as other great TV-style shows too, like Ezra's Nightly, Ezra Levant Show, and David Menzies' fun Friday night show, Rebel Roundup, where he rounds up your favorite rebels and talks to us. It's only eight bucks a month to subscribe or you can subscribe annually and get two months free. And just for my podcast listeners, you can save an extra 10% on a new premium membership by using the coupon code podcast. When you subscribe, just go to premium.rebelnews.com to become a member. That's premium dot rebelnews.com and please leave a five-star review on this podcast and subscribe in apple podcasts or google play or wherever you're finding your podcast because those reviews are a great way to support us here at the rebel and have people find us here without ever having to spend a dime and now please enjoy this free audio only version of my show Key and Bexie and I take a look back at the year that was at Rebel News. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed and you're watching The Gun Show. Some kind of crazy, crazy year, has it not, friends? Alberta, well, we liberated ourselves from the NDP in a landslide victory for Conservative Premier Jason Kenney. And Eastern Canada, primarily Toronto and Montreal, have re-elected gropey, blackface, two-faced, fancy sock, laughing stock, Liberal Prime Minister Justin Trudeau for all of us. And so, of course, the West, well... They want out. Along the way in this crazy, crazy year here at Rebel News, we did some really great journalism that nobody else was doing. And we did it on both sides of the longest undefended border in the world. And so tonight, I've invited my friend, my colleague, Kian Bexty on the show so that we may take a look back at some of our favorite stories from this past year and some of the stories that could only be told by us here at Rebel News. So Kian joins me now from his home in Calgary in an interview we recorded earlier last week. So joining me now is my friend and colleague Kian Bexty and we're going to do a little retrospective on the year that was um, Kian, thanks for joining me. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, some of our favorite stories, some of the stories that were the most fun to do, um, and some of the stories that couldn't be done 
by anybody other than us here at The Rebel. And I think you're a perfect encapsulation of that because <laughs> we joke we're going to release the key in on a story. Um, you just get on a plane and you show up wherever the news is happening and you're not scared to get it. Um, let's start with the, the first one on my list. What was your very favorite story? I'll tell you mine and then you can tell me yours. Mine was the ability to fly to Iraq to tell the story um, of the persecuted Christians of the region and the difference that, uh, I I'll say we, and I don't mean we at the rebel, I mean we as everybody who donated to our crowdfunding efforts to help Christians in the region. It was, you know, that was a project that's a couple years old and to see the changes that we've made in the lives of Christians in Iraq, whether they wanna stay or they wanna go, um, one of the most profound moments, I guess, of my entire life outside of my children and my family, certainly in my entire work career. What's your favorite story of 2019? My favorite story of 2019 was probably the United We Roll convoy, that whole saga uh, that went from Alberta to Ottawa. Um, but I, I was remembering what you were telling me about your Iraq trip, um, about how you were bombing around these planes with the priest, listening yeah. to hymns, basically, that you sing in your own church. Yeah. Like, I, I think that that's like, that it's pretty hard to top something like that, yeah. like a moment like that, where you realize that these Christians out in Iraq are fighting, you know, this fight that you, you can relate to on a religious level, but we, we can't really, just like I, when I was in Hong Kong, we, we couldn't really... In Canada, it's hard to explain to, to Canadians yeah. how dire their circumstances really are. Um, but my favorite story, uh, probably United Reroll, Hong Kong, probably a close second. Yeah, uh, for me, uh, what that I think that was one of your uh, greatest stories was being embedded with United Reroll. And it was so important that we were there and that you were there to tell the other side of the story because you know Glenn, you know Haley from United Reroll like I do. They're good, decent people. Uh, they're they're not hateful people. They're not bigoted people. Uh, they just want work for their friends and for their communities. And they were being absolutely axe murdered in the mainstream media. So that's why it was I think it was great that you were there to tell the other side of the story, which is really our mandate here at The Rebel. Yeah, I mean, the mainstream media wasn't sharing this part of the story that, you know, that as we were driving across the Trans-Canada Highway, there were hundreds of people lined up in just kilometer stretches you know as we'd get to to towns it would turn into a bit of a parade and then we'd leave the towns and then there would just still be there would still be people spattered at the end of driveways there was this one mother in a bathrobe holding her baby in like minus 10 weather and and she was just there with a little sign and her child cheering us on it was like it was a canada-wide movement and it was something that the mainstream media didn't really want people to know about they just wanted to know that there was these you know rough oil sands workers who were out of work who were angry at trudeau maybe they were going to arrest him when they got there they didn't know but they could be almost like they were criminals you know yeah. like they were white supremacist criminals when really they were just oil and gas workers out of work wanting to share their story with canada yeah and trudeau refused to meet with them um and it was interesting because a lot of the opposition to united we roll came from within the official pro-oil sands movement. A lot of it came from that side. A lot of the narrative against Glenn and what Glenn and Haley were trying to do came from people who couldn't organize things the way that they could. Um, let's move on to the next story. Um, 
what was the most fun story for you to do in 2019? The most fun. Okay, there was a, there's this, here's, here's the background. We, I was coming back from a Donald Trump rally. It's a bit of a story. I was coming back from a Donald Trump rally in Florida and the closest airport that we could get to was Atlanta. So I was driving from the pan, Florida panhandle to Atlanta and in the middle of the night, as I'm trying to get to my flight at 6 a.m., um, I, I, I'm driving and I'm, I'm tired and the bush in Alabama is about 40 feet tall uh, on both sides of the road. And then all of a sudden there's a clearing with two lights sort of hovering on the clearing. And I was like, what the heck is that? So I aliens. pull my rental car over. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was aliens. <laughs> I pull my rental car over and I look and it's this like Black Hawk helicopter just hovering in this clearing. And then it takes off and it bolts. And then there's a few others that went overhead and I thought, wow, that was pretty cool. And I ended up going home back to Calgary and then I hear news reports that the FBI raided a terrorist compound in Alabama. And to get to Georgia from the Florida Panhandle, you had to drive right by where this raid was. And it was the same terrorist that was uh, that had a compound in New Mexico. It was the weirdest coincidence ever. So after I landed from Atlanta, I ended up packing my stuff again and went <laughs> right back to Atlanta to go to this road that I just happened to be driving on at like 2 a.m. And uh, I spoke to a few police officers there and they explained to me which gravel road to go down. Uh, and I had just bought a new drone. So I go to this this terrorist compound in Alabama uh, with this new drone, never flown one in my life, but we wanted to record everything that was there because the compound in New Mexico was bulldozed by the yeah. FBI and nobody understood why. Reporters went to it the day after and were picking up bullets in the sand and manuscripts and it was just so confusing why the FBI would bulldoze something that had such sensitive information. And maybe if they didn't bulldoze it, they would have known that there was another compound in Alabama, you know, right. sooner than six months down the road. So anyways, I'm flying this drone um, through the, the Alabama bush, videotaping their training camp, the, the um, the tires that they have set up for the kids to jump through because they were training kids. It was a tr it was a terrorist kindergarten basically. Yeah. They were they were training kids to shoot up schools. So they had a school bus there, and I drove the drone right along the school bus to peer inside, and we looked at the houses. Anyways, it felt it felt pretty 007 esque because you know you don't get to fly a drone in a terrorist training compound very often. So that was that was pretty fun. Yeah, especially a small town boy from Vulcan, Alberta, <laughs> flying a drone to examine a terrorist facility in the United States. Um, for me, my I guess my most fun stories actually involve you, um, because like you, I normally work alone. Like you're the cameraman for yourself. I'm often the camera woman for myself. Um, when Greta came to Edmonton and we had the How Dare You truck driving in circles around where like the climate march in Edmonton was sort of congregating before they um, began. And I sort of stood back because I didn't want to be recognized. When I get recognized by the left, they normally attack. So I stood back and did it like wildlife photography. Um, I didn't want to interrupt them in their natural habitat. And we got some really great footage from that, you know, uh, activists saying, you know, all the white people to the back. <laughs> um, and uh, also our trip to Madrid. That was so fun working with you. Uh, one of my favorite videos I think ever that you've done is you breaking the hearts of um, the, you know, the Greta fangirls, the people who uh, the next word out of their mouth was that Greta's my hero 
if they had just kept talking when you broke their hearts and showed them the car. I mean, that was so fun. And, you know, it's it shouldn't be fun to deflate their dreams, but it was great to bring those kids to reality. Yes, bringing, bringing them to reality. We were doing them a favor, really, because Greta Thunberg is the biggest climate hypocrite that there is. You know, she climate contraband everywhere from her car. And today she just tweeted two pictures of her dogs. Dogs are bad. <laughs> they dogs tell are me bad, dogs Sheila. are bad. <laughs> yeah, but Greta Thunberg doesn't care. She just wants you to euthanize your dogs and she wants <laughs> you to throw out all your plastic. She just she'll she'll tell you that you got to get rid of all of your pets, all of your climate contraband. But when it comes to her, she'll ride in first class on trains and and, and lie about it. Oh, and lie about it. She'll fly people across the Atlantic Ocean so that she can take an exclusive yacht trip across the sea, uh, but not tell you about the people that she flew across the ocean because that goes against her narrative. Right. So exposing Greta was was also fun. But I think what you mentioned at the start of this video was you know, um, you know, what was the most important thing that we did and perhaps exposing Greta for who she is. Maybe that was probably the most important thing that Rebel News did, or at least I did. Yeah. Um, because because nobody up until the time that I interviewed her, interviewed Greta at that hotel in Edmonton, nobody had ever done a hostile interview of St. Greta, the, the climate child. Yeah, I think you just stole my next question. Um, my my next question for you would have been the story that most um, encapsulated the need for the rebel um, as a counterbalance to the mainstream media. I think that that really is globally speaking, probably the story that um, that really proved that we punch above our weight. We're and we're not unafraid to take on these. Uh, so-called untouchables we can't touch Greta's a child soldier for the left that's really what she is we can't attack her because she's a child soldier but we're supposed to listen to her because she's an expert and we totally especially you and you I think you approached it a great way when you went to Edmonton and found her parents um, and her handlers is you know you asked her questions until it became apparent that she's just a child and then you you know stuck the knife in her adult handlers, so to speak. And uh, for me, I think for if I were to say what was, you know, of your work, the that necessitate like shows why we're necessary. I'd say that was it. Yeah, I would agree with that. And uh, that that is an international thing. But you know, I, I'm racking my brain through all the stories that we've done now, now that we bring this up and there's stuff that we covered in the United States that the mainstream media wasn't even covering. Ilhan Omar. Uh, you remember? Yeah. Ilhan Omar was a great example. That was one of my first like explosive stories. Yeah. Um, Ilhan Omar and the whole squad really, when I asked them to condemn that ice, um, that yeah. ice bomber, uh, the terrorist. Uh, and they all just said, no, 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 we have statements coming. I can't condemn them right now until, you know, my handlers tell me that it's okay <laughs> to condemn them because you don't want to condemn Antifa when you're the squad, when you're, Ayanna Presley and and Ilhan Omar and and Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, seeing all of them in uh, in Congress and being able to interview them all, really uh, opened my eyes as to how closed off the media is in Canada. You know, it was just I, I basically went in that summer from interviewing the most high profile Congresswoman in the United States just 
on a whim, basically, to pleading my government to letting me into our election debate and them saying no, you know, like the contrast between what the United States will let journalists do with what what can the Canadian government will let journalists do is so stark. Yeah. And, you know, it also was pretty evident how the media is falling down on the job. Um, in the United States and in Canada, you and David Menzies both, you're basically jumping out of bushes to ask accountability questions to candidates on the campaign trail that, uh, and you guys were giving liberals and NDPers the treatment that we only see the mainstream media give conservatives. But when you, uh, I don't want to say accosted, but when you committed a dangerous act of journalism on Ilhan Omar, it was right after a press conference and the journalists were just sort of packing up their stuff and going their separate, like no, if she wasn't going to take questions, they weren't going to ask them. And you didn't take that um, for an answer. You chased her, well, not chased her, walked with her and asked her accountability questions, which dozens of journalists who work on Capitol Hill could have done, but it took a Canadian to do it. And they do do it if it's a Republican, you yeah. know, like if it is Lindsey Graham coming out of uh, the Kavanaugh hearings, you know, there's yeah. there's they're scrumming him uh, because he's on the Judiciary Committee and th they, that's an important thing for them. But yeah. for some reason, when a major story breaks out of Minneapolis, which I was at just the day before when I was uh, in Washington, um, when that major story breaks of Ilhan Omar marrying her brother i mean it's it's not I, I don't even want to say allegedly anymore it's pretty closed case right there maybe i should say allegedly ilhan omar allegedly married her brother ladies and gentlemen in case you haven't caught up on that story google that one it's a doozy and it looks like she committed immigration fraud it looks like she perjured herself on a ton of legal documents for her divorce and this story just keeps snowballing and snowballing and snowballing but for some reason nobody had the kahunas to ask Ilhan Omar a question to her face so as you said Sheila right after a press conference was scheduled on the hill I just walked with her that was it that was the brave act of journalism that exploded in the United States they shared it far and wide because they just couldn't believe that someone managed to get Ilhan Omar you know the member the leader of the squad or maybe it's AOC that's the leader I'm not sure these days but it's it's stunning how incompetent the mainstream media is in the United States. Yeah, and they sure, given how much access they're allowed to have. Yeah, and they sure hate us, but we're not going to go away as long as they don't do their jobs. Like as far as the mainstream media is concerned, as long as they stay inept, then that's great job security for you and I. I think for me, um, and Ezra did it, but I'd like to say I did it first. Um, in I wrote The Destroyers to tell the other side of Rachel Notley's um, NDP that, you know, to give them the vetting they weren't getting in the mainstream media. And Ezra did it this time for the Lebranos, for, you know, the liberals to a certain extent in his book, The Lebranos. And, you know, he told the story of the scandals that are quickly told in the mainstream media and then quickly swept under the rug. And for me going on, you know, handing out Lebrano signs and, um, going to the book signings and, you know, helping get that information in people's hands. And they were thirsty for that information. They really wanted it. I think Ezra's book went to number two. Um, it, I think that was that for me was a huge success in 2019. And um, I'd like to think I played a part in it, even though Ezra wrote the book. Um, but again, that we can write these books that go to number one, for me and number two for Ezra um and we don't get reviewed in McLean's 
we don't get reviewed by anybody in the mainstream media. I got bumped by a Harry Potter book. That's how that's how successful uh, the Destroyers was. Um, and nobody talks about it. They just like not that nobody talks about it, but nobody in the mainstream media talks about it. They just pretend like we don't exist. Um, but the book sales, they speak for themselves that people want the other side of the story. And you know, layoffs all the time in the mainstream media. And yet we can write books that go to number one and number two. And the media wonders why, how are they able to do it? Well, how about some balance? The stunning thing about these books that you wrote and the one that Ezra wrote is they don't go, you know, they're not put on the front shelf at chapters, no. you know, Margaret Atwood's book that that's the one that edged, uh, Ezra, uh, Ezra out. Um, that was, you know, that was, you couldn't avoid seeing that book at every airport bookstore at every yeah. chapters indigo, whatever that's being shoved down your throats. But Ezra's book and your book, it's word of mouth. It's us advertising it on our own. It's a little bit of Amazon and it's us going from town to town yeah. to hand the book out to people who want it. And if, oh boy, like if Margaret Atwood did that, she would probably meet an empty parking lot. Whereas, yeah. You know, are the people interested in the other side of the story, they line up in droves to get this because they can't find it anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point, actually, that, you know, it's all it's all grassroots. And yet these other media conglomerates ignore the grassroots and just go with their own agenda because they exist in a bubble. They have no connection to the people. Um, next question. What was your biggest win in 2019? I'll tell you mine. Mine was winning against the elections commissioner and having them drop their investigation into my illegal book. Um, and then watching Lauren Gibson get fired because he's a partisan hack who <laughs> never should have had the job in the first place. However, I did get left with some $75,000 in legal fees. And if people want to help me out, they can go to save Um, What was your biggest win? Um, my biggest win was, it was also legal, like, legally related um yours your win was hard to beat and he's still getting hammered in the courts right now yeah. because the judge a judge recently said that his his fines were vindictive and and like cruel it was oh it was just yeah, chicken soup for the soul it was because he at lauren gibson what i don't think people understand is this elections commissioner he gets to open the investigation into you decide if it's worth an investigation. Then he sicks the investigators on you. Then they make a finding of guilt. You may or may not ever get to see the evidence against you. I didn't get to see a single complaint against me. Then they then they get to decide what fines you're levied. And then they get to execute the fines against you. None of it ever goes before a judge. And what's great is the second that this stuff went before a judge. A judge said, this is crazy and it doesn't make any sense. So here's to Lauren Gibson uh, being a laughing stock. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, you know, I, I think that we should be taking things to judges more often because the yeah. second we took the uh, the elections commission or the, debate. the debates commission to court to say, no, you got to let us into the most high profile debate in this election. We are accredited journalists. You know, we, uh, the secretary of state has accredited us. The United Nations has accredited us. 
Uh, Israel's accredited. Everywhere around the world has accredited Rebel News, but yeah. our own government says, no, 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 you have committed activism once before. Well, we laid out, well, the Toronto Star's main mandate is activism. News is secondary to them. They pick and choose the news that they want to report on based on whether or not it fits their progressive narrative. But they let them in. They let a couple of them in. They let Chinese state broadcasters in. They let tons of these I, I mean, if they identify as a journalist, I'll guess I'll, I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the, of the doubt. Sure. That's what I expect people to do for me. But when it came to us, just because we were conservative, the debate commission said, no, you can't come in. So David Menzies and I flew to, well, David was in Toronto. I flew to Toronto to meet Ezra there in court at 9 a.m. We found a judge. He heard our case. And before I knew the ruling, I flew to Ottawa because I wouldn't be able to make it if I waited for the ruling. So it was all on a hope and a prayer. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, 10 times, uh, five times, maybe one half of the times these trips don't work out, by the way. Some the people that are viewing these stories, they see the successful ones. Lots yeah. of times these flights don't go the way we hope it does. So no, everyone we, we drill a few dusters before we way. get a good story. <laughs> yeah. So I, I flew to Ottawa and it, luckily it just worked out and we were allowed in. The, the judge ruled that the. Uh, the debates commission's findings and their argument were incomprehensible. Like they didn't really make sense. The arguments didn't flow and they were just sort of pulling things out of thin air as arguments. And that's, it's not, it, it didn't resemble a legal argument. And they, so the judge said, yep, go in, he and David and David and I strutted in there. Like you wouldn't <laughs> believe like it was, the, it was, that was the biggest win of the year for sure because we walked in with the debates commission just just foaming at the mouth and all of the accredited journalists who were already in there had all of their desk space all taken and we just sort of did a victory lap through the museum of natural history or canadian museum of canadian history so that they could all see yeah we're in here and then we took a desk at the back and we did our job i think better than anyone else there because we asked more questions than most most of the other media outlets combined and the, you know, the debates commission said, oh, it's highly unlikely that they'll even be able to ask a single question because the lineups will be so long. It'll be so hard to get a question. Maybe the leaders will pick them. But, you know, we just got in line and had lots of questions to ask because there was quite the backlog given that we weren't allowed access for quite a long time. And we did a better job than anyone else there. So that was just a night full of straight winning. Yeah, I, I liked how the mainstream media journalists were sort of like shocked and clutching their pearls at how you and David, you particularly in that first debate, and then you and David in the second debate were able to get questions, how you guys ended up getting questions first. And it's like, well, hustle and hard work. You know, when you have to fight for everything, of course, you're going to fight to get the first question. Of course, you're going to figure out a way to get to the front of the line. And, you know, these other journalists, they get every they get access handed to them. So it's shocking to them to see, you know, other journalists who are scrappier and who um, where we come from a meritocracy at the rebel. Um, they were just shocked. They were shocked. There was a cultural divide between you and the other journalists that was very evident. And I, I really enjoyed it, actually. <laughs> David and I waited for about an hour and a half with Andrew Lawton because he was also in yeah. the same position as us from True North. Uh, we waited for an hour and a half at that French debate after I sort of understood how it was going to work and yeah. where we had to line up to show the police dogs our bags, that kind of thing. We waited there for an hour and a half to be the first in line. And even then, the 
president of the press gallery, who I found out after the fact who this was, he tried to budge us in line multiple times. And I was just like, no, I'm not like, you're not going to go in front of me. So I just kept walking ahead of him. He was that guy. He's a, he's a jerk, but, uh, uh, it just, it was a lot of grit and hard work to get those questions asked. And it's just something the mainstream media is not used to. You know, and, and winning is really the best revenge, isn't it? <laughs> um, now, last question, because I've taken up a bit of your time. Um, what do you want to focus on in 2020? Um, because I think what sets us apart from the rest of the mainstream media is we get a lot of freedom to cover the issues that are really important to us as individuals. I, I mean, I get to cover the agriculture beat <laughs> um, because I'm a farmer and, uh, you know, I get the freedom and leeway to do that. Of course, you and I are both oil patch advocates. Um, what are you going to focus on in 2020? I, in particular, want to focus on the indigenous communities who benefit from oil and gas and all these agreements with oil and gas companies who are now being uh, damned to poverty by the federal government and the NGOs, these environmental NGOs who love to stand behind indigenous groups to say, you know, block the pipeline, it's for indigenous rights while damning entire communities to generational poverty. I want to tell those stories. What do you want to do? Well, I think that it's going to be a really busy year because there's going to be two major elections. There's going to be the election of the new conservative leader to replace Andrew Scheer, barring him not staying on indefinitely until the government collapses. Yeah, that's and a long just, goodbye, just isn't it? run by default. <laughs> yeah, it's a really long goodbye. Uh, so there's going to be that. But then there's also going to be the 2020 Democratic uh, primaries, mm -hmm. and then which will wrap up probably halfway through the year. I don't know the exact date on that. But then right after that, is the American presidential election. So that's actually three huge elections that we are going to have to tr try our best to cover the whole thing. I mean, it's not like we have a whole uh, floor of people working for us like CNN does, that yeah. multiple floors of people for them and Fox News and all that. We have you, me, Ezra, David, Abigail. Uh, so we're going to do our best to cover it and we're going to, you know, it's going to be a long grind but I think it's it's just such a rewarding job that we get to work for Rebel News, uh, covering stories that, one, if we wanted to cover while working for CTV, um, like, you know, the, uh, what's his name, Mike Arcelides of the world, <laughs> we wouldn't be allowed to. We'd have to cover lost dogs and, yeah. you know, broken fire hydrants. But we get to cover terrorist training camps. We yeah. get to cover the president of the United States in the White House. Yeah. Um, we, it, it's just such an honor to be able to do the job that I do. So, and, and it's an even bigger honor that people watch it and and enjoy the content that we produce and the news that we produce. Uh, it's really it's, a, it's such a fulfilling job, and I hope that we can just double down on what we've been doing next year. Great, Kian. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview, and thank you so much for. Um personifying the work that we do here at The Rebel, which is punching above our weight and asking the questions that nobody else will. Um, Happy New Year, buddy. Happy New Year and Merry Christmas, Sheila. Yeah, you too. You know, Kian's right. We've got a frisky year ahead of us, don't we? We're going to see possibly a conservative leadership race, and we might be one of the only journalistic outlets that will treat the race fairly because, well, first off, we aren't anti-conservative like the mainstream media is, but also fairly because we don't mind holding our own to account when they aren't conservative enough. 
We are also going to be covering the Western alienation sentiment fairly because the mainstream media paints disaffected Albertans as racist backwards hillbillies. And who knows, we might even see a federal election if Justin Trudeau does something idiotic enough to force the NDP to vote against his government, causing his minority government to fall. Here's hoping. And we've got an election in the United States. And you, dear viewer, you've already seen the kind of work Kean can do when we set him loose on those pesky Democrats. 2020 is going to be exciting, however you slice it. It's going to be hard work, but it's work we're proud to do. And it's work we can only do with the support of our friends and viewers like you at home. So thank you for your support this past year. I hope everybody had a very Merry Christmas and here's to a very happy new year full of opportunity and hope. I'll see everybody back here in the same time, in the same place next week. And remember, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think.